Welcome to the Boardrooms Best, the podcast for CEOs, board directors, investors, leaders, and those who want to rise and serve in the boardrooms of public, private, family-owned, charitable foundations, and exciting high-flying entrepreneurial companies. I'm Nancy May, the CEO of the Boardbench Companies, and I'm your host here today at the Boardrooms Best. Hello, and welcome once again to another episode of The Boardroom's Best. I'd like to really start the show first by thanking everybody for being such loyal listeners. And we've had a very fast uptick to what we're doing. So thank you. I'd like to give a special shout out to Audrey, who has been terrific in sending critiques and comments on our shows. They've all been very thoughtful and well done and much appreciated. So thank you, Audrey. In addition, I'd like to invite everybody to subscribe to our show on iTunes and Spotify. We are also on the Pippa Networks. If you have comments or ideas or thoughts for future shows that you'd like to hear, give me a jingle on our email, which is best, B-E-S-T, at boardbench.com. Stay tuned. We've got a great show coming forward and lots more in the lineup. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to the Boardroom's Best. I'm your host, Nancy May, the CEO of the Boardbench Company, and I am here and very privileged to be here today with my friend, Keith Kroc from DocuSign. Now, Keith is the former CEO and now chairman of the board of DocuSign, and we are currently recording, but when this show airs, DocuSign will have gone public as of tomorrow, the day after we're recording. So this is an exciting time for me to be here with Keith and obviously Keith to be here in New York. So welcome, Keith. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be on your program. You are really an innovator in many different ways, but your roots are pretty humble. They they are. I mean, you know, I grew up... uh, in a small town in uh, Ohio, uh, my my parents were of German origin, and you know my dad had a five-person machine shop in the good days, and it was just me and him in the tough times. You know, it's interesting. You didn't know this, but I have a fairly similar background. I grew up with you know in Long Island, not in the Midwest or where you did. But my dad was an entrepreneur and manufacturer in the eyeglass industry. And I would say that everybody in the factory floor I knew as, you know, Uncle Saul and Aunt Sally. Right, yeah. And they were family to this day, they still feel like. But you got it. There are good times and there are some tough times. There are. And, you know, the thing that gets you through it is uh, it's a family. And the business world, whether it's you know, in Ohio or in Silicon Valley, it's a team sport. I agree. I say my dad is still my greatest mentor and person that I learned from still to this day. He's 97, so I'm very oh, proud to I say that. I love that. My father is also my greatest mentor, yeah. no question about it. He's probably the best natural leader I think I ever met. Yeah, you don't hear too often CEOs talk about their family, so it's a privilege to be able to do that and just sort of, we're all family in the long run. Absolutely. So um, speaking of family... Uh, companies, and especially the ones that you've led, is Reba, which you've actually built from zero, right? From the yep. ground up to... Now $1.3 trillion of commerce going Ooh. through the Reba network, more than Amazon and wow. eBay and Alibaba combined. Yeah, the, the biggest name that nobody knows about <laughs> exactly. as far as companies goes. And now, obviously, DocuSign that's going public. But in each case, you've actually had to deal with not just the beginning of the company, but how do you grow that company and helping with governance to guide you along the way? Right. What were some of the things that you were doing differently that we might not see in traditional companies? Yeah, you know, I think one was, and I think it started out, 
not only at Ariba, but the company before Rasna, we, uh, we changed the game in mechanical design engineering and eventually got sold to PTC right as we were going public. And standing up in front of the board, I think, day one and saying, look, we're going to talk about the good and the bad and the ugly. Yep. Uh, there's not a lot of time. Every company has them. We're going to talk about the bad and the ugly. And there won't be a subject that we won't bring up uh, that's a tough one that we don't confront head on. And we're looking for your advice on that. And I think getting that started uh, right away. The other thing that I think that's critical is to start off with a playbook. Uh, and and all, yeah, all four companies that I've built and also when I was chairman of the board of trustees at Purdue, uh, we have what we affectionately call the playbook. And that is the, the vision, the mission, the values, the team rules, the long-term goals, the strategy, and then all boiled down execution. And that has to be clearly articulated to have alignment, not only in the company, uh, especially if you're experienced hypergrowth or if you're a, a higher ed institution with 70,000 students. Uh, you've got to have that alignment, crystal clear direction. And easy enough and simple enough for everybody to a- be able to articulate it from the top right down to a- the person who sweeps the floors. As a matter of fact, that is the key. And that is, we call it the playbook cascade. So the vice presidents would teach the directors, the directors would teach the managers, the managers would teach the individual contributors, and the individual contributors would teach the customers, suppliers, and partners. And we always believe that you don't know anything unless you can teach it. My mom was a yep. was a school teacher too, uh, believe it or not. And um, that's that's a key way for people to really internalize it and a way for it to get institutionalized. You don't forget it if you have to actually you tell don't, and teach you somebody don't, else how to do it. You, you don't forget it. So... That, I think that's critical. Yeah. So we talked about sort of top-down on that perspective. How much of that actually bubbles from the bottom up? Well, it, it bubbles up uh, a ton if, you're, if, if the right things are happening because, you know, the values will manifest itself in uh, at the grassroots, uh, quoting the team rules, and then it gets inculcated with – the stories that yep. they tell about that, which all has its roots back to the values. And then that's really what uh, shapes and defines the culture from the bottom up. And what your customers are gravitated to, not just the products that you oh, deliver, but yeah. who you are as a company, heart, soul, head. Oh, absolutely. And, and products. And, and you know, uh, you've got to have in your value set that your customer focus. I mean, all four uh, companies that I've built we always uh, say that we measure ourselves by our customers' results. No customers, no business. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> they make simple. the world go around. That's right. And by the way, uh, you know, we look at them as extension of our family. And especially when you're building a company from nothing and people take bets on you mm. early on. And, you know, I still say to this day, even when our, you know, our user conferences, thousands of people in the old days, you know, is 20 people, is that um, I thank them for being part of that foundation. And we really appreciate 
um, all their faith in us and all their support. And we'll do anything for our customers. Yeah, appreciation goes a long way. It does. So um, the playbook and your values and your principles and, and sort of the approach that you're going to take with the business also sort of bubbles, not just top down, but bubbles up. And how you communicate that into the boardroom is one thing. But more importantly, it's like the structure of your board mm-hmm. really helps add strength and value to that overall vision. Absolutely. It, re- it reinforces yeah. it. So if you think about what a CEO's job is, the number one job is to build a high-performance team. Right. And that includes the board. And, you know, there's uh, – I always say there's three keys to it. Number one, it's getting the best people in the company with the best people wins. The second thing is you've got to get those people working together. And uh, that's where the whole team aspect comes in. And I really believe... And not always easy. Oh, it's not always... No, it's not <laughs> it always easy. easy. the outside. <laughs> and by the way, especially, um, I'm a big believer in diversity of thought, different temperaments, talents, and convictions. And that diversity of thought, I believe, is the catalyst for genius and... And uh, the secret sauce of leadership. And being willing to accept the ideas that you're not comfortable with is oh, part of it. Well, I, or at least to have the conversation to understand. Well, I think them. when it comes to your set of values, you have to be uncompromising. But um, people coming from different angles, different perspectives, different disciplines, all of that, that is the magic. And you know, my, so much from that. I, I mean, it, it's uh, I've just seen it over and over again. People always go, "Hey, um, you know, how do you make decisions?" I said, "Well, by the time you know, if you if if once the company comes of size, if anything lands on my desk, there's only a probability of success." <laughs> and um, so that's why I have that. And what do I do? I do three things. The first thing I do is I assemble the smartest team to attack this particular issue or problem, uh, maybe an opportunity. The second thing is I make sure it's diverse as as possibly can, whether it's different disciplines, different parts of the world, what cultural, whatever it is. And then the third, the third one, and this was, I think, the point you were making, Nancy, is uh, you've got to suppress their egos and focus yep. on a mission. And then, okay, uh, you probably have that best answer because I believe in group think too. And so that allows me to sleep at night. It's really important to get your sleep when you're running a company. You believe in group think is a good thing? I know it is. <laughs> okay. I know it is. And, and you know, it's... So you know, it's the collective. It's not necessarily the, con- the conformity of the group think. No. I mean, at the end of the day, sometimes you can take a vote. Sometimes you can't. And if you're the CEO... You've got to make a decision, or if you're chairman of the board, you've got to make a decision. And the key is is that um, at the end of the day, I think Leadership 101 is people support what they help create. Yep. And, um, and they also need to explain why that uh, if you chose something different than the, uh, what they advocated for. Support their decision. Then they understand why. But when you walk out of that room, it's time to let's go execute. And no Monday morning quarterbacking. You know, it's interesting you talk about the decision. Years back, I had um, been asked to talk to a a gentleman who wanted to be on a board. And I said, uh, I'll use generically the name Joe. I said, Joe, you're a terrific guy, but I have a concern. I'm not sure you're board material. And he got offended. And I said, why? He said, why? He said, because you're not decisive. 
you can't make a decision. And if you can't do that, you can't be a leader and you can't be in the boardroom to basically fish or cut bait, as they say, right? Right, absolutely. Yeah. So, and he was shocked. Uh, he's he's worked on it since. Yeah. But uh, it was not it was not a good yeah. uh, conversation. But yeah. it was an honest conversation. Yeah. And so he didn't waste and, his time. And I really respect people. And I actually say this quite a bit that, hey, folks, I trust your opinion more than mine. Okay, that's all right. But um, they've got to bring something to the board where they're an expert in or they have a passion about, and they've got to take a stand inside that boardroom. Absolutely, absolutely. So boardrooms are evolving, um, or maybe not so much always evolving. The the history of the corporate governance environment has been pretty slow to progress. But we talked earlier before we got on, on the show about some of the things that you're doing differently from that governance structure, maybe not from the public perspective, because now you're going in the public arena. But in generally, you know, how do you look at governance differently than the old status quo so that it's, uh, it's an asset, not just a compliance and regulatory uh, check off the box? Right. Well, one of the big things that that uh, we've done, and I think we've kind of re- rewritten the playbook there, and uh, uh, you know, I've, I've done it in the previous uh, companies. It was quarter our success. Um, is build build uh, tiers of advisors below um, the board of directors. So, for example, at DocuSign is the DocuSign Advisory Board, and we have members from all around the world. That's a large group of people to manage. It is a large group of people. It's uh, industry gurus, experts in different disciplines, a lot of CEOs, you know, former CEOs of McDonald's and General Motors and Adobe. We have a general. We have, uh, she's the CEO of Deutsche Bank. Uh, It's a great, uh, diverse group. And um, especially when you're creating a category um, and, and really trying to, uh, come, you know, I mean, we're nothing, there was nothing there before. Um, that's critical. And they, they give us a lot of wisdom. I mean, we really say it's for three things. One is their, for their wisdom and their strategic advice. I always say the best way to learn is OPE, other people's experience. <laughs> Not I mean, OPM, but maybe there's a little OPE, bit of that too. <laughs> yeah. And, um, uh, there's plenty of time to make your own mistakes, so learn as many as you can from other people. Sure. And, uh, you know, strategy and also think out loud with and uh, test strategic chess moves. And then also get, you know, especially when we're in a new country and uh, laws and regulations are key to us. So to be able to get some deep expertise and deep expertise in different disciplines, whether it's in the IT role or procurement role or sales, marketing, engineering role, technology, all that. I think that's key. And then we take it one level deeper with a customer advisory council where we break up by verticals and horizontals because we verticalized and horizontalized our business. So, for example, you know, uh, banks, uh, uh, the insurance vertical, healthcare vertical, Telco vertical, um, and there you can go deeper and really get and, yeah. And, they, the and there you can go deeper, and they're uh, they're operating uh, at a, at a closer plane um, to where the action is, and then you can also cut it horizontally. So, uh, sales executives, uh, HR executives, legal executives. So, 
it's been very effective for us. So if you have that tiered approach, you know, not only do you get great wisdom, but you also get a lot of great introductions in terms of CEO. Because let's face it, the most important thing in building a business is trusted relationships. Absolutely. And everything in in business is divided by time. So how fast can you build trusted relationships? You know, divided by time is a key to your success. So this accelerates the process by an order of, of magnitude. And we just actually did a show on trust. Uh, I love is, that. Yeah, I, very important if you can't trust the people By the way, you. It, it's everything. It's a critical. DocuSign, uh, we say you could sum up what we do in one word. It's trust. We deal with people's most important documents. And we may kid around about ourselves, but when it comes to business, trust is sacrosanct. So um, you're, you've run public companies, private companies. You're about to go public again. What is the difference, the key difference that you see from the, that younger, earlier stage company to the growth now, the IPO, and then quite frankly, after the IPO, sometimes that's not an easy transition, especially if you've got a a team of people who may not be used to an IPO environment. You've been through it, but yeah. not everybody has. Yeah. Well, I think, um, you know, the big thing that changes is the amount of transparency you can share with your employees. So I'm a big believer and really have it an open book uh, when you're a private company, as long as you can in terms of sharing. So you've got to rein it in a little bit now. You've got re- to rein it in uh, until you announce your earnings. So that's just... That's just a a matter of fact, and you have to get the employees used to that. You know, the other thing about being public is you're under a lot more uh, scrutiny and limelight. That's why I always say that before you go public, you better make sure you're ready for that. And predictability is a key thing, and so is practice. So, for example, at DocuSign, we've been practicing uh, not only our quarterly earnings calls for the last three years, but, you know, the script that goes with it, the press release, the beat and raise, waterfall chart, the Q&A. And, um, you know, we're fortunate because uh, we've got probably uh, eight or ten of the large institutional investors who came in in a private round. And then we also have companies like Microsoft, Salesforce, SAP, Google, Visa, Intel, Dell, FedEx, who are strategic investors. So they're on the call as well. So, you know, practice makes perfect. Yeah. yeah. Well, and then they you know, people are concerned about the relationships that you have with the outside investors and the types of conversations and how you keep those conversations open. That sounds like that's an easy practice because you've done that. And the transparency goes from transparency to when you can actually talk in the public markets to still keeping that conversation fluid as you can with the outside investor market who are part of the people that are customers in a different realm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and I mean, if you look at, for example, our strategic partnerships, we have a four-dimensional partnership with uh, with them because not only are they an equity investor, they're all enterprise customers. We all have uh, product integrations with all of them, and they and they also uh, go to market with us. SAP resells us, for example. You sure. know, we're Salesforce's biggest partner. We were partner of the year for Microsoft. So, yeah, they're. I mean, they're very important. And and by the way, the financial institutions are all customers. They love DocuSign, which is kind of fun. Yeah. So you've got it on both sides now. 
all this great ride up the hill has been fabulous, but along the way there's some bumps. So what are some of the things that you think that you could have, you've done well, but maybe you could have done better? Yeah, I think always all along the way, you know, and I think one of the things that I've learned is never get too high on the highs or too low on the lows. Also, you know, your ego is your enemy. Humility is your friend. Never get too sure of yourself. (laughs) Never get too sure of yourself. Absolutely. (laughs) And just when things are going great, look over your shoulder because here comes a freight train. So I think, you know, with that in, uh, I mean, with that in mind, we've done a lot of uh, mini experiments that that didn't uh, work out. We've taken some risk, maybe, uh, we've gone to some countries too uh, early or too late, but those are minor, I think, in terms of uh, building momentum uh, because I think particularly in the technology business, leadership is not defined by size. It's defined by momentum, and people love to skate to where the puck is going to be, and they love to be part of it. Here again, people support what they help create. But speed also frightens a lot of companies and a lot of executives who don't know how to work at um, our dear friend that we met in the lobby the other day uh, or this afternoon, Peter Shaman says, you know, faster than normal, right? That's sort of motto on on another front. But speed is frightening for a lot of companies. I worked, I'll I'll share this quickly. I worked for a company years back that preferred to be a fast follower as opposed to a leader, which is not the kind of company that a lot of people really want to be part of. Now, the ultimate currency of business is speed. And it's also transformation, you know, especially with the digital transformation. And I don't care if you're a a retailer or an an automotive company or a five-person machine shop. The digital transformation and being able to keep up with that is, for the Fortune 500, it's either one or two number strategic imperative because there's billions and billions of dollars being invested in Silicon Valley to disrupt, you know, a menu pick on one of these banks' website. So Own it. Go for it. Don't be a second. Speed is so, and change, and change is the most powerful word in, in any language. And without change, you don't develop, prosper, or grow. And in business, you either change or you die. And there's no in between. So, do you think that there are directors, when you think about that, um, that are uncomfortable with change and innovation? They talk about it, but actually being able to adopt it and have that conversation in the boardroom that makes them really want to accept it is not always easy, especially those that have been around in the sort of pre-dot-com era that are sitting on boards. Not that they're bad people. It's just a different way of thinking. It is. And, and I'll tell you, if you really want to get a caricature of it, then uh, Please, tell be, me. A board of, be, a, be a board of trustee at a major university uh, or run a large fraternal organization or run a large uh, nonprofit. Uh, you know, been around 150 years and this is we always tradition. Did it that way, we always know? did it yeah. that way. And that's, and I have to say, the experience of uh, heading up a university and a large nonprofit was probably the best training. I could I could imagine get. Uh, I wish I would have got it earlier. You work hard, but you also hit your head up against that wall sometimes. Too. Oh yeah, and you know that was great training for DocuSign. Patience. <laughs> well, yeah, patience and perseverance. Yeah. I think um, is the key. Absolutely. And the other thing I think too is that people 
think and absorb concepts at a different pace. And um, I think Peter Shagman, maybe at Hive, we struggle because maybe we go to that conclusion right away. And by the way, if you have that pattern recognition, then uh, what you think is really simple may not be to somebody who comes from another discipline or something like that. So you have to walk them through the journey and walking them through the journey and the thinking. We affectionately call it the 23 chess moves. And you have to explain why between each chess move. And I stop re- and take a breath and stop and take a breath build and build some confidence along the way. For build them. some confidence. And I really believe. Um, as you're building a company, that you start off day one with the 23 chess moves. It's just a hypothesis. It's like sales forecasting. The only way you get better is you practice. It's like being a puppet. You practice. You start off with a hypothesis. And, um, you know, a lot of people cop out and say, hey, I'm not going to do the three-year strategic plan because we know things are going to change. Well, duh. But if you have that plan laid out and those chess moves laid out, it actually makes you more agile. You can actually move through it faster and it actually allows you to even socialize what are the, some of the different disaster scenarios that could happen, whether it's, you know, a competitor. So the old scenario planning, you live it, you yeah, go through it, yeah. you, it becomes muscle memory when it actually yes. turns into a disaster. Yeah. Hopefully no disasters, yeah. but stuff happens. Absolutely. And you can't make a pivot unless you have something to pivot from. Absolutely. So on that front, you're also known as sort of the category builder. And the boards, and I guess we're talking about boards rooms, but even still in the early stages, yeah, how do you, how do you help people? I mean, how you come up with these ideas, but how does the average person build that muscle to say, "I want to create something new"? Yeah, you, you know, I mean, uh, I've had that experience, right? Uh, is there is there a magic well, sauce? You say, well, are you typically creative? I mean, personally, I've always been the kind of person who tends to be. Ble- a leading, bleeding edge, I say, as opposed to leading edge. Yeah. And I've had to pull myself back over yeah. the years to say, hey, wait a second, slow down, don't go too fast. Yeah. Well, in, ter- in terms of the concept behind building a category, you know, thing to understand is that the category king gets 80% of the resources and 80% of the market cap. So it's a noble goal. And but you also take eighty percent of the risk of not you know more going out there being um, the first one out there. Uh, I I actually might not agree with that. Good, um, let's hear. <laughs> because so how do you build a category? Right. right, you find a big unserved what I'll call beachhead, and right. beachhead is three dimensions in terms of uh, you know a, a vertical industry, um, a horizontal, and a use case. And uh, that initial beachhead that you pick, you want it to be small enough that you can be the king of it and that uh, the incumbents there is either nothing or it's something they can't punch back like paper or they're weak or they're, not, they're spread thin. And, so uh, don't write up too much that you, you can't choose. Just take a very tight yes. niche. However, it has to be big enough to live on. And so, and uh, expand across. Uh, well, and that's the second and that's step. When you expand once you the verticals. Once you once you own it, uh, you want you want it to be defensible, so you can own it. But you also want it to be, you know, I call it a, a offensive, where you can strategically attack adjacent markets, and then you do one after the other after the other. And and a lot of people say, hey, well, you know. 
you name you know you name the category digital transaction management. I mean, you can't do it. Yes, you can. At Ariba, we started out. It was operating resource management. It was total spend management. Then we invented B two B commerce. So you that's the key. You have to be a moving target by expanding and making your total available market bigger, but remain the king. And the key is, is those early beachheads is the kernel for that category. Now, you're in a boardroom, and it's like, hey, we're going to create a category. And they go, what? Yeah. They, are, <laughs> I'm you, being are polite you, here. <laughs> are you not, no, you can't do that. Forrester and Gartner can't. Are the ones that, are the ones that do it? Not us. Not us. And I go. Those are the last guys you want to talk to because when they put you in a category, by definition, they are going to put you in some space in a quadrant. And they're going to put competitors around you, even if you're clearly the market leader because it's good for their business. So those are the last guys you talk to. They just have to. They'll come around. Um, they'll sniff you out and they'll find they'll you and they'll ask out. the questions and then they, you know, exactly. the cat's out of the bag. But exactly. Until then, now you're exactly. becoming the 800-pound gorilla. Exactly. And then it comes back to who makes you the category king. Well, there's no doubt. The, king, the ultimate kingmaker is, is when the customer sings your value proposition. And it, from the podium. So it comes full circle. It now comes it just full, comes full circle. circle. You take care of the customer. You find the opportunity. You bring it back. They you define your a, product. Right, they, you <laughs> yeah. build a board that actually understands it, right. looks at, reads it, eats it, whatever right. it might be. Exactly. You have your playbook, although that was first, and then you come back, and ultimately, right. it's the customer that's singing your praises. Yeah. And people support what they help create. And you just hope that you can keep that momentum going, and you love and you trust your customer, and you keep them close to you as. Absolutely. Tight as you can. Absolutely. Why live in your values every day? Well, Keith, we're pretty much out of time, but before we wrap up, what I'd really like to ask is personally, I mean, what is next for Keith? You mentioned your dad as a mentor, but who are the people you look up to today that are going to help you go to that next level, that next mountain? Yeah. I mean, uh, by the way, you're going to think I'm crazy when I say this. And this is you talk about going full circle. And, I love crazy, by the way. Okay, this is <laughs> Go for this it. is crazy, especially when it comes to uh, boards. The ideal role model for me is the six year old twins. Here's why: because first of all, they assume positive intent. They're like dogs; they love everyone. Second of all, they never hold a grudge. Third of all, they have. They never take anything personally, and they have a great sense of humor. They're actually quite self-actualized. They have joy in their heart all the time. They have joy in their heart. So, gosh, don't you wish every board member had that? So I think there's an irony on that. And I've had had some great mentors, and I'm passionate about uh, mentorship. And I had a great one early on when I was in my late 30s, and we just took a, a Reba public, and that was John Chambers. And he he was so great. He'd go, Keith, ask me any question, any question you want, one that you can't ask your board, you can't ask your executive team, your family might not understand, and he did. And, and I did. And uh, That's he, trust. That's, I mean, that's true. I could. Uh, again, we've come full circle to it, trust again. Customers trust. Totally. People that you love and you care about. Totally. And ignite the, uh, the yeah. spark. Yeah. So, I, and I, you know, I believe in, I call it, it's, it's a concept I came up with in my head, but the hybrid leadership matrix where 
on the vertical I plot. It's like a spreadsheet on the vertical I plot key leadership characteristics like courage and integrity and respect and courtesy and sense of humor, uh, everything like that. And then I have different great leaders that I've interacted with, um, and they don't have to be great. And they can be, you know, from the nonprofit, they could be their twins. And and you put a checkbox where they're really good next, where they're really bad. And so I don't try to copy anybody. I just try to be the hybrid. And I and I try to give that to my children. Right, the sponge absorbing it all. Absolutely, and, and because it. that's to me, that's the ideal, and the ideal is uh, worthy just so long it exceeds your grasp. Terrific. Well, thank you, Keith. It has been a pleasure. Good luck tomorrow with your IPO. And for those of you who are listening listening here today, actually it won't be today, it'll be several weeks afterwards, when the recording goes out, Keith will already be public, and it is, it's an honor and a privilege. And thank you for joining us here at the Boardroom's Best. Thank you, Nancy. It's such an honor to be on the program. This podcast was brought to you with the support of Resources Global Professionals, the company that delivers intellectual capital on demand to the world's most recognized companies and corporate leaders, RGP. Resources Global, the experts you want to call when you need experience to solve your business problems. www.rgp.com.